co-host today with me Tatum Winslow she's our director of support at and we have a fabulous guest with us today um um, Dr. Ivy Chung and uh, she is the owner of uh some of learning and um she will be talking us to uh, to us today about her her story her journey and we're excited to dive in so Ivy could you tell us a little bit about yourself yeah sure and thanks for having me here today um, so again, my name is Ivy Chung, and um, I'm the owner and executive director of Sum Up Learning. I have been a board-certified behavior analyst since um, 2008. I'm originally from Hong Kong, and I moved to the U.S. to continue my education. So all along, my plan was to become a clinical psychologist, but during my junior year, I actually got a chance to work with a little boy with autism as an ABA tutor. And yes, back in the days, we didn't call ourselves behavior technicians. We were either ABA tutor or ABA therapist. This experience really exposed me to the world of ABA, and I was very fortunate to work under the guidance of some incredible behavior analysts who remain my mentors to this day. This experience completely changed my career path. As I said, I wanted to be a clinical psychologist. And just as I was preparing to apply for grad school, magically, the University of Washington offered their very first ABA graduate program in 2007. Of course, I applied, and I remember there were only seven or nine of us in our cohort. It was very small, but we were all very close. After I graduated, um, a fantastic opportunity was presented to me. I joined a national healthcare company and became part of the pioneering team tasked with establishing their first ABA program under the TRICARE benefits. In there, I had a lot of opportunities to learn the business side of running the program, running an ABA business, in addition addition to getting mentored um, on being a behavior analyst. I spent about five years there, also working toward my PhD at the same time. And in 2013, I took a leap and pursued my dream of starting my own practice, some of learning. And from there, the rest is history. Wow. Now, so it's been 10 years now. It's been 10 years. Um, it's it's It feels a little surreal that we just celebrated our 10th anniversary this year. That's great. Congratulations. That's Thank you. One of the things that I... I um, learned about you by getting, you know, just knowing you over the years is um, uh, you're just your story of uh, also uh, being a minority in in the BCBA and um, also being able to serve um, individuals and families of uh, diverse backgrounds. And um, I guess, could you tell us a little bit about your background and your cultural history? Yeah, definitely. Um, like I said, I was originally from Hong Kong, and when I moved here, um, there's just not a lot of Chinese providers um, in the healthcare field, I would say. Um, and I didn't think that I would stay here, to be honest. I thought I would just bring back whatever I learned back home to Hong Kong, um, and I stumbled upon the field of ABA and Chinese providers in the ABA field, it's even more rare and scarce. Um, So very early on, I knew that was something that I really want to work on. I really want to contribute to the community. Um, So early on when I started some of learning, I had an amazing opportunity to work with a nonprofit organization called Open Doors um, for Multicultural Families. And we had our outreach um, partner with them and offer a lot of services um, in parent training and um, providing workshop um, to a variety of um, families who have diverse cultural background. Um, That was a really, really cool experience. And I learned a lot in terms of how to interact with um, individuals or families from, you know, with diverse background, um, because, you know, you you have your own bias, you have your own stereotype. And, and through that process, I really learned a lot about my own biases 
And I learned about how to be an effective communicator when working with families um, who don't share the same background with me. Um, so it was really cool. And uh, we still work with Open Doors. And every chance that we have, we offer workshops to them. We work with them on parent training. Um, it's and, and, and I encourage my staff to to do that as well. Um, it, it really is. It's a unique opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. What do you find that is, are some of the challenges with um, with your staff that are working across, I guess, um, uh, cultural barriers? Like what are some some of those challenges? I am not seeing a lot of challenges. I, I, I think that's one thing it's surprising. I mean, we're in Seattle area and my group is very diverse, to be honest. Um, we have 13 BCBAs. Um, we have staff that are from India. We have staff that are from Korea, from Japan, from China. Um, pretty diverse group um, to meet the needs of the clients who are coming in. And, and Seattle is a very diverse, culturally diverse um, city as well. Um, so we don't encounter a lot of barriers, but I would say language barrier is always difficult. Um, the barrier to how, how families perceive disability, I think that's always one of the things that kind of difficult to talk about um, for some of the, those cultures. I know like in, in, in our Chinese culture, it's not something that we openly talk about. And, and for some families, they might feel like it's a shame to be talking about that. Um, so working through that perspective and kind of letting them know like, hey, you know, we respect your choice to not share any diagnosis information about your child, but, you know, let, let's really talk about the benefit here if we do and the cost here if we don't. And really kind of engage that process with the family so that they have all the information that they need to make the most informed decision about treatment. Um, and I think that's really kind of what we we focus a lot on is we don't really force people to to make, you know, to to accept our ideas. We engage in a process, we engage in a conversation with them so that, I mean, ultimately you're the parents, you get to make the decision. Um, so I think that's that's what we're good at. And I think that's really kind of, you know, having that cultural background helps me understand that, you know what, we got to respect, everyone has different perspective. You got to, you got to listen and you got to work with them so that they get, they feel that they can trust you um, and, and that they accept my perspective as well. Yeah. What great experiences your staff have. Yeah. Awesome. One of the things that I remember from conversations with you and your staff is how how much um, you have uh, you put into your training and your staff training, especially um, with um, early start Denver model. And so I thought some some of our listeners might not have a, a clear understanding of of the early start Denver model. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that and and why that's a treatment model that you like to use at your at your center. Sure. Yeah. Um, so the Early Start Denver model was developed by Dr. Sally Rogers from um, UC Davis and Jerry Dawson from the University of Washington in early 2000s. Um, it's an evidence-based intervention approach specifically designed for young children with autism spectrum disorder. Um, what's great about this approach is that it combines both developmental and AB principles to provide a comprehensive early intervention that targets social engagement, communication, relationship building, and all using play-based and developmentally appropriate activities in a natural environment. The ESDM is something that we really like and, and, and see the effectiveness um, and I would say it's a pretty dominant treatment approach that we apply when it comes to our early intervention services. Mm -hmm. One of our BCBAs, who is now our director of early intervention services, she used to be part of the ESDM research team at the University of Washington. So she was 
trained firsthand in ESDM. Um, there weren't a lot of ESDM trained providers in the area, and we're just so extremely lucky to have her train, mentor, and pass along the ESDM knowledge to our incoming BCBs um, over the years. Um, we see how this approach works, how much progress our early learners make, and we love this approach so much that two years ago, we actually decided to pilot an early intervention program, which kind of simulates a school setting, um, but we adopt a lot of the um, ESDM approach in the program. Um, and the, the goal of this program is to build school and learning readiness in our young learners. So we piloted it with um, three of our two-year-old in a group environment, um, two and a half, and they graduated from the program and they are thriving now in a kindergarten um, mainstream classroom. Um, so the outcomes of this program have turned out amazingly well. Um, and to be honest, I mean, completely exceeded our expectations. Um, and by that, I mean, parents are really happy. Clients have made a ton of progress. They're ready for school with little or no support. And, and our staff, they just enjoy every minute being in that program to experience all the success. Uh, so the ESDM has, you know, really kind of being the approach that we see such a drastic difference um, compared to other treatment approaches. And I think, you know, one of that is, is really the developmental approach. Um, and, and for lo a lot of um, um, practitioner in ABA, I, I think, you know, we know that one of the biggest criticisms of ABA is that it never considers like development, right? Like we're so behavioral based, we're doing all these protocols and, you know, making changes and implementing behavioral, you know, strategies, but we don't take into consider consideration of the child's development. And it, it makes a huge difference. And I think that's what the ESDM is really good at. And we really enjoy using that approach and, like I said, we're super lucky to have someone who's firsthand trained um, in that research and being able to disseminate that information to our group and continue to really mentor um, the next group um, and, and, you know, disseminate the ESDM knowledge. Yeah, I, I think you hit it the nail on the head when you were saying that that uh, you know there is a lot of the criticisms around some of or some of the hesitancies uh, with parents that are approaching this new treatment approach or this for them it's new that a, that ABA is new and so but they might have like some conflicting um, information where there's they're hearing about some of the um, criticisms of ABA and maybe that it's not um, person based or child or play-based. And it seems like the ESDM model could be like a really great solution to those parents that are hesitant with to trying um, ABA um, because of some of those fears of it, of, of like you said, it not focusing on the child as much as like child-led type of a treatment model. Um, so that's great to hear about the success of that. And I think it's I feel like it, it, I'm not hearing about the ESDM model being used as much as it used to. Um, yeah. Yeah. So anyone listening to this, go ahead, Ivy. Yeah, no, I, I was saying it's really surprising. And um, I know the ESDM, they do um, training workshop to get providers certified um, in ESDM. Um, but still, I mean, I haven't really met a lot of ESDM providers. I mean, even I mean, it's been 10 years, you know, with in business, we're in business and it's very rare that we could come across another ESDM trained provider. Um, so I don't know, like maybe they need to do a little bit of marketing. <laughs> well, especially since the the literature in ABA, the, the it comes like the strong studies come from the ESDM model. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and to be honest, it's not that much different than a naturalistic teaching approach, but it gives a it the framework, it's 
is there. Um, it really kind of gives the provider to to learn like how do you incorporate all this development, child development into play, you know, at different levels of um, intervention, what kind of development, developmental um, appropriate activities that you should adopt. So that's the part that's that makes it easier for the practitioners to understand and to use the intervention. Um, so, so yeah, I thought it's interesting. You know, I, I think you're right. Like it doesn't get talked a lot. Um, and certainly, you know, it's not like PRT where, you know, everyone kind of know what this, this is. And when it comes to USDM, I feel like it's still not very well known. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess you could have already said this, Ivy, but do you do you think it's marketing or do you think there are other reasons why people because I this I've heard of it. This is probably the first time I've heard an explanation of what that is. And I was thinking like, man, I wish a lot of places I used to work at did use that because when I was a younger BCBA, I know that was one of my biggest mistakes was just like, here's this list of skills and I'm just going to keep throwing these at you. And this might not be even be like developmentally appropriate for you to work on. And then retrospectively or retroactively, I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, if I could just shake myself and be like, stop, this is not, this is not what a three-year-old needs to work on or four or five or whatever age. But yeah, like, do you have any other thoughts besides maybe marketing as to why? I mean, I don't know. Um, I, I suspect it's part of marketing. I also suspect it's, it's just the age range that this model applies. Um, I mean, it's very, very early intervention focused. Um, if I, remember correctly, I think this model applies to um, zero to 48 months. Um, so I think for some providers, you know, like what what I do after, you know, 48 months. Um, but in reality is, you know, you can still adopt a lot of the ideas the concept from ESDM and apply it to someone a little older. Um, because there's that underlying concept that is teaching you is it's it's a developmental approach, right? If you were to teach a seven-year-old on sorting versus a three-year-old on sorting, I'm not even sure that we teach sorting to a three-year-old, but let's say seven-year-old and then a 20-year-old, it's a very different process. And I think that's, you know, the ESDM might not tell you what to do with a 20-year-old, but it teaches you the concept of like, you got to think about how to make it developmental appropriate. Um, so I think that's that's kind of what I'm getting it from. Yeah, that makes sense. So you have this uh, awesome pilot that sounds like turned out so well. Um, do you have any other initiatives at Sum of Learning that you're excited about? Um, that's a great question. Um, and it's funny that you asked. Um, so I told you earlier that some of learning just reached our 10 year milestone. So with that, I decided to treat myself with a little work retreat. I went away for three full dates, abandoned my child, my husband, um, <laughs> and a hotel room with 180 degree of leg view, told my staff not to text me, not to call me, email me, and I'm just going to disappear for three days. So I had three full days to just think, think about where I want to take some of learning as we enter our second decade. Um, And from this retreat, I've come up with a few projects that I really want to complete within the next year. Um, One of the initiatives, um, which is my priority right now, is to build a compliance department. Um, We have compliance procedures, protocols in place currently, but as we continue to grow, I've recognized that we need to scale up um, our operations. And the compliance department seems to be the next big necessary step that we need to take. Um, And I'll tell you, adding motivity to our practice is one of the many steps that we needed to complete to get us closer to building a compliance department. And we couldn't be happier to have chosen motivity. Um, The other project that is underway is our um, behavior technician mentorship program. So when I founded Some of Learning, um, my mission is to groom and mentor the next generation of ABA practitioners. Um, I can very proudly say that this is one thing that we do very, very well. Um, And it's evident by the number of BTs that we have changed the career path. We've turned them into BCBAs over the years. Um, Most of the my BCBA staff, they started SBT and they've been with me seven, eight, nine, 10 years, really. Um, And 
They're doing a fantastic job. We have a very robust and highly reputable reputable practicum program, um, practicum supervision program to get our BCBs ready for their first job once they pass the exam. Um, it's very rare that we hire external BCBAs. Um, most of my C- BCBAs, they are internally promoted from um, a BT position to a BCBA position when they finish their um, graduate coursework and pass the exam. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, that's definitely one of the models that I I think makes us stand out, um, is, you know, it's, it's very rare that we, we hire external, um, BCBs. We don't need to, because every year we just have enough practicum students Mm -hmm. and I don't give them up if they're good. I hold on to that, to them and I will make it work so that they will be part of our team. I mean, the investment is in, let's make sure that, you know, they can continue to do good work. And oftentimes they really enjoy being in some of learning. Um, so that's kind of what we're good at, but the past few years, I definitely have realized not every BT wants a BCBA career. Um, many of them just want to stay as a BT. They don't want to go back to school. They want to just work one-on-one with a, a client. Um, so with some of the help of our more senior BTs, we have formed a work group to discuss what we can do as an organization to support and mentor BTs. Um, and we want to explore what types of opportunities we can help them advance in their career. Um, I'm very excited about it. We just started the work group and I can't wait to see what the end product would look like. Um, I think this would really help with retention and really help solidify our field. I mean, the turnover is just so high. And and I think part of it's, you know, when when we hear about survey, why people are, you know, quitting the job, one of the reasons is they don't really have any advancement. Like, Mm -hmm. right? Like they stay as a BT forever what's next? And I think there are a lot of things that they can do and we want to explore it. And I, I hope by incorporating their feedback, their input, we can craft something for them. Yeah. I mean, I just came back from a conference that we just, that was the whole topic was on uh, staffing um, and retention and um, being able to provide a nurture BTs um, who want to stay BTs, but also BTs that want to grow up, you know, grow into BCBAs. And it sounds like, it sounds like you, you've already kind of figured out a lot of it because if your retention rate um, and how many, do you know what your retention rate is? At one point, I know it was very, very low. Um, We're like around like 20% compared to like a 50, 60% um, in the industry. And um, I mean, there are times we do hit like 50, but I would say when it comes to turnover, it's very rare that we lose people because they're not happy. We almost always lose people because they have family issues. They have to move back home. That's out of state. Um, And it's very, very rare we have an unhappy person. or, you know, we lose people because their mind is already set in a different field and they're just using this position as a stepping stone for their next career, um, which we totally understand. Um, but we we retain, we really do. And I think that's definitely one of the things that we're very good at. Um, and we have BTs that have been with us for seven years. We have BTs that have been with us for three, five years. Um, and when we have turnover, it's usually, you know, under six months. And you kind of know. Um, yeah, yeah. But after that, you know, they stay. They And they want to do this for a very long time. So, yeah. Well, Ivy, I have another idea. We, we got to have you back sometime and talk completely about burnout and retention because yeah yes (laughs) i would love to that's awesome especially as we all your your work your work group yeah sorry tatum what oh i said learn all your secrets (laughs) because i think there's a lot of owners who just are grasping at straws of just how can i help retain my staff and, and everything it's it's a huge issue it's it's been it's been kind of fascinating to watch yeah. But that's, those are some, re- it's really cool to hear that, like, you have, like, homegrown, if you will, BCBAs and um, 
I think that says a lot. The, the fact that you don't have to to hire outside of your company says a lot about how happy those people are with you guys, with your yeah. with your organization. And I think that's a really I don't want to say rare thing. So I know there's like a lot of good companies out there, but it's just I think that some individuals find that hard. I find that to be a hard uh, thing to find in their career is, is an organization yeah. where they feel happy, you know. And so, and I think that's probably also what owners are struggling with: is how do I help my my uh, staff feel like they are valued here and that they they should want to stay and I do want them to be here. You know, it's how do you do all of that? So that would be a really cool follow up episode for yeah. sure. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll we'll follow <laughs> up on that. I did want to go back and talk a little bit about um, some of your uh, compliance department operational efficiency. Um, I, I guess, could you tell us a little bit about how you, you're, you're using technology? And uh, I just remember when we were first in talks um, with you at Motivity, um, one of the things that really stood out to me is the, the the process that you went through to like evaluate and select te- technologies uh, was very detail oriented and uh, and thorough. So if you could t- tell us a little bit about um, your initiative with technology and how you choose the the vendors and providers that you work with. Yeah. Um... I am never the type of person who just get excited about new technology. Um, <laughs> I I am, but I also tell myself, like, don't feel desperate about a technology. Um, so I think a lot of AB business owners who existed before all this practice management software or online data collection platform, you know, would agree that technology has made operations more streamlined and efficient. I mean, we we used paper timesheets, paper claims, wrote paper session notes, paper graphs, everything just paper. Um, and when it was just five or 10 clients, you know, for the first year or two, um, you know, of our business, it seems very manageable. Um, but boy, as you grow, the pile of paper grows into boxes of paper. The boxes grow into stacks of boxes. Mm-hmm. The stacks of boxes take up your whole 300 square feet office. So physically, the, the, the physical storage is a problem. And I think that was a kind of a breaking point for me to say, hey, you know what? I am running out of space to store these documents. And, you know, I need to do something about it. But really, I think, you know, the biggest problem um, besides the the physical space is the ability to access the records in a timely manner that pushes me to go electronic. And that's kind of the compliance piece that I was talking about earlier. Um, You know, when um, we moved to Motivity, uh, which, by the way, is the very first online data collection platform that we sign up. And I know it sounds crazy. I mean, if you kind of do the math, we, we sign up um, with Motivity, I think in July, 2021. So. Mm-hmm. And I was in business since what, 2013. So it took me eight years <laughs> to, to get convinced to do online um, data collection. I was stubborn. So a little bit of that has to do with that. <laughs> um, but we moved to Motivity and am, what really got me drawn to Motivity is the ability to have a more streamlined process to access and review clinical records. When we have paper notes and paper data, it was really difficult to perform any internal audit. We didn't know if the BT was doing a good job writing notes. We didn't know if they wrote the notes the same day. Uh, we don't even know if there's a note um, until maybe weeks later when we asked them to bring them their notes. It was impossible to have them turn in their notes daily or to scan it and save it. Um, so, you know, we didn't know any of that is happening. Um, you know, to, to verify appointment um, and to make sure that it matches the time on the session notes, just it, it requires so much effort. Um, so by the time that, you know, our, our payer requested the records, it was such a hassle to retrieve them. And sometimes we don't even have them. 
Um, so yeah. it becomes such a liability to us not being able to review the notes and access really the access piece. And, you know, a lot of our clients have home services and to leave those documents in their home, there are times there are nights that, you know, I'm like, gosh, like what if something happened and all my records are are gone. Um, so nothing was time efficient. Um, it wasn't saved and time is cost. So it's not cost efficient. Um, but now that we have motivity, we're really able to access these documents with just a few clicks. Um, and it makes a world of difference in our ability to audit and enhance our um, compliance process. Um, so that was kind of the improvement we see at um, an organization level. But at a clinical or client level, I think, you know, it gives us the ability to readily access the data and session notes. And that means the BCBA can respond to the data to make program modification much quicker. And they don't have to wait until their next supervision session to do so. So I think as a result, it also enhances our clinical quality in general. Right. So so I guess what are some of the are there. Um, any other tools that you also use to help you with your streamlining? Uh, well, practice management software. Um, we moved from another agent, uh, another company to Aloha. And again, it was great to know that you guys finally integrated. And it, it hey. makes, again, like it, it, it's, it's like the perfect couple. Um, and, you know, as a user, it, it's, it's great because it's just, again, really streamlined the whole process. And Aloha was really user-friendly and you guys are also very user-friendly. And when I say that, um, what I mean is we don't have to do extensive training to our staff for them to learn the technology. And I think, you know, as an owner, that is really important. I mean, we do have 50 employees and the transition is huge. Um, and, you know, once we roll it out, we roll it out, right? We don't have a lot of times we can do training. Um, so being able to have the staff just jump in and use it right away, that to me is cost saving. That's time saving. Um, so that was really good. Um, really you know, streamline our whole process. Um, other technology, we don't, I mean, during the pandemic, I think a lot of us started using um, telehealth. Um, so, you know, having video conferencing has been great. Um, and now we restart using that mostly for parent um, training because okay. parent training was one of the biggest barriers um, for us is, you know, parents don't have the time. And, you know, if you ask them to come to your office to do a parent training or you go to the home and ask them, you know, like to take breaks and, you know, or they have to stay home for us to to have parent training. It, it It's such a big barrier and they don't want to participate. And since the pandemic having, you know, um, telehealth, it really increases our access to parents and they could just stop in the middle, you know, lunchtime in their office and give us 30 minutes and we can talk about their child. Um, so it has yeah. really opened up more opportunities for us to, to work and support um, families. Yeah, that's great. Um, the pandemic really, I think, was a in that way, uh, a blessing for uh, the field to be able to move forward with telehealth. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to talk to ask you um, for organizations that are looking to onboard a new technology like Motivity. Like, could you explain what your process looked like? How did you how did you get your staff on board and how what did it look like to get everything kind of rolled out over time? Yeah. Um. I think you said that I was very detail oriented and I really am um, very, very organized. And I, I like to plan um, as much as I know the plan doesn't always go well. Um, but with Motivity the onboarding, it was really easy. Um, so I have the entire process laid out every time we introduce a new technology. It doesn't matter if it's Motivity's Aloha or other things. Um, the, the first thing that I do is I don't, introduce it. I don't announce it to everybody. I always start with a pilot. Um, 
I don't introduce something without testing it first. So with that, and even with a pilot, I carefully pick my participants. So for example, with, with Motivity, I want to make sure that my participants are users that are tech savvy and users that are not tech savvy. Um, I want people that are tech savvy because they can help me problem solve technical problems. Mm -hmm. Whereas the not so tech savvy ones, they can help me identify the processes that might not be user friendly. Mm -hmm. I want participate participants to also represent different types of users. So for example, I want to make sure that we have BCBAs who have worked with early learners and then BCBAs who work with young adults, because these two groups, um, they write programs very differently and they might even take data very differently. Um, so I want to have input from a very diverse group of participants. Um, once we kind of go through the pilot phase, we you know, I, I, and Tatum was a huge help during that phase. And uh, really, I mean, we appreciate her help so much because we do a lot of customization in terms of the templates that we want. Um, and there was a lot of discussion of how to make the technology fit our needs. Mm -hmm. um, so we went through that phase and I want to say it was at least like six months, if not more. Um, and yes. then we added a second group um, and, and we meet with Tatum. We met with Tatum every week at the beginning. And then it was kind of like a one month check in um, behind the scene. We were all doing our work and we were, you know, having our own work group to kind of talk about like the challenges that we have. So there was pretty intense pilot group that was ongoing during that period of time. And once we feel like we're good, then we started to test it with a second pilot group. Um, and from there, um, we continue to monitor, evaluate, and check in with Tatum and kind of see like what we need to do more and what is not working. Um, and finally, we roll it out to the users. Um, so we roll it out to our BTs and we have 30 plus um, BTs. And what I did was, again, I picked just one group. Um, I picked the EI, um, our early intervention program, um, BTs, to have them test it out. And um, it was so easy. Nobody even had any questions and problems. We didn't even have to do training. So from there, I got all the information that I need for us to roll it out. And the process was easy. We announce it and we say, this is the date. We're going to roll it out. And your supervisor will give you the training and um, we'll check in. And the check-in piece is really, really important because Every, you know, I, I don't know about you guys, but you go to a conference, you go to a workshop and 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 you take a class and you you, you think that, oh yeah, yeah, that's easy. Mm -hmm. I get it. And you use it, right? And and you didn't see any problems because you didn't know what you don't know. Right. Right. But after a month, this is usually when I start seeing people having questions and like, hey, you know, this is not the best way to do it. What can we do? And and I think the check in the monitoring a month after is going to be crucial and, and critical um, to make sure that we're being efficient and we're being effective using that technology. Um, so that was kind of what we do. Um, and. You know, I mean, we have rolled this out for a full year now um, um, to all the employees. We have our training protocols all written up. Um, every new hire who comes in, we know what to train them on, what to hold on to training them on because we don't want to overwhelm them. Um, but the process has been really smooth. And, you know, I, I think that the key point here is really to lay out a plan and don't do it too quickly. Um you will always have a group of staff that are really good with technology and then a group that unfortunately not. Um, and I've learned so many times that, you know, yep, it makes sense to me, but it doesn't make sense to some other people. Um, so you have to do it very slowly. You have to do it very systematically and you have to plan it out and anticipate issues um, and really have the open communication, like for your users to tell you, like what's working and what's not working. Um, so the user part, I think that's really um, the key. Yeah, yeah. I would I would say so. 
<laughs> Did you it have anything was, to add, Tatum? I would just say I can attest this was very systematic. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, I really enjoyed helping some of learning on board because I felt like you had a plan and we could discuss the plan and like, what are the fees, what's the feasibility and everything. And then I think another thing that we had to talk a lot about too, was just like the language that you were using versus the language that I was using and making sure we were on the same page with that. And, and I think um, I've noticed that with other organizations too, is sometimes coming into motivity, there's some words that we might use that maybe they don't use that way. And so it's really important for the customer success consultant and the organization to be like, how do you call this? Like, what do you call this? And what do you call that? So that whenever we're building these programs or we're building templates for you, it's exactly how you want your staff to understand it and everything like that. I think that was like another big part of it was just making sure that um, we were structuring things the way that made sense to your team um, based on how you talked about like your sets and all of this different stuff. Um, language barrier. Yeah, it was a language Yeah. And so, yeah, but I, I, and I really thought that having your first group and then coming in with your second group was great because that first group was, I felt from my perspective was also really helping that second group along so that it wasn't just, you know, all of us doing all the heavy lifting. But at that point it was like, okay, here's some people who have been here before. And now here's everyone who's new. And now they have like a huge support system. And it's not just like Tatum and Ivy leading yeah. the way, but it's like, you know, Tatum, Ivy, I and would say, people. Yeah. By now I'm probably the least efficient user of activity because I really don't use it. Right. Sure, I, yeah. I'm writing, I'm not writing programs and, and we have a team that they can answer questions. They do the training. Um, and you know, so yeah, it, it, it was, it was quite a process and I, I enjoyed that process because I, I think it's very much needed. Um, and oftentimes, you know, when I talk to other owners, they just jump in so quickly without really knowing what they need. And they were sold on the technology just because, you know, some companies, they have good marketing teams um, to convince you to, you know, go to them. And I was very constant about that and, and, and really make sure that I know what I want and what I don't want. Um, and for me, my philosophy in running a business, it's, it's, it's all about sustainability. I, you know, mm -hmm. I, I don't do this for two years or four years. I do this for, you know, 20 years, 30 years. Like I, I want to do this. I want this business to sustain, um, and there's no reason for me to rush. And I know as an employee, employee, when I was working for other companies in the past, I hate when someone introduced a technology or introduce a new concept or a new, you know, idea. And then it was just, it lasts for two months and then it didn't work. And I absolutely hated that idea. And that was one of the things that I kept telling myself, like, I don't want to be that employee. I don't want to be that person who gets so excited about new things, but then didn't think through what needs to be in place to make that new idea last. Um, so that was important to me. And this is probably why it took me eight years to find you guys. <laughs> I think too, an advantage you might've had Ivy is, and maybe that some customers don't have because you did take eight years <laughs> to do electronic data collection is you had paper still. Right. And so I, I think some of our orgs probably feel like they do have to rush because maybe they're currently paying for something else. And they're like, well, gosh, we want to switch over here. But I think to speak to your point, it would still be good if you know, you want to make a change. Like, do you have a longer term plan? Because rushing can make it very stressful for staff and for you as the owner, because maybe it wasn't as smooth as you were hoping. And now everyone's stressed and we're just trying to kind of tie it all up in a nice little bow, but it's, it looks kind of shoddy, even if it's a really good system. And so um, if anyone's listening is like, well, that's not fair because she had paper and I was coming from a different organization. Like, I think that's valid, but I think maybe it's good to just kind of take a breath and maybe meet with this, the customer success consultant first and be like, what's our long-term I thought, like, how much time should it take me to get to this point so that you can maybe plan like how long do I want to pay for two systems, you know, and, and maybe can I do things um, ahead of time that uh, maybe will we'll kind of like decrease the cost. Like maybe you start planning ahead of time with that CSC as to what like that's going to look like and things like that before you make the big jump. But that, and that might be like a conversation to have, you know, before that. Anyway, that was just kind of a thought I was having that maybe think, other organizers you know, would have. The time now is it's very different when I first started. Um, I mean, like I said, when I started this ten years ago, there 
wasn't even a lot of companies who do this, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, it took me eight years, but that's also because there just weren't a lot of choices. Um, and, and now there are a lot of choices. Um, so take the time, do the demo with them, take the time to ask yourself, like, what do you need as an organization? Um, you know, are you willing to compromise certain things? Um, I wasn't really ready to compromise anything. Um, I really need that high level of customization and that's what Motivity can offer me. Um, whereas others, they can't, um, they give me a template and this is how we do it. And that's not going to work for me. Um, so that's what we need and that's what we go after. And, um, I'm not saying Motivity is the way to go. I think, you know, you guys have great technology, but it doesn't mean that, you know, it, it works for everyone. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. As the owner, you have, it's your responsibility to evaluate that and make that choice and take the time. Um, I mean, it's your business, you know, nobody's rushing you. Um, make the best decision because rolling back on a decision, going back to tra- the, the transition is going to take you time. And again, time is money, time is cost. So just slow down. <laughs> yes. That's really good advice. Yeah. So um, we're at, at time now, and but I wanted to thank you so much for this interview, this conversation, and um, getting the, letting us get to know you and your and uh, some of learning more. Was there anything? Is there anything else you want to share with um, the audience here today um, about you? About anything we talked about? Great question. Um, like I said, I, I spent three full days thinking about you know, what's next. Um, I think there are a lot of business owners these days compared to, you know, when I first started, the field is growing. And I think it's, it's really important, you know, when it comes to technology, I think it's really important that we, you know, we as a healthcare industry, it's important that we don't lose sight of why we're doing this right and you know like i mean technology is great it helps us streamline i i don't i i worried about people oftentimes getting too excited making too quick of a decision that is going to hurt their business um i i think you know really take the time really ask yourself what you need look at your organization it's easy to lose sight on quality when you're so absorbed in the day-to-day operations of your business. I don't know if it's a good answer, but I just see a lot of new business owners. And my feeling when I interact with them is they have no idea what they're doing. Not to say that I knew what I was doing. I'm sure I wasn't sure. Um, I'm sure that I wasn't sure what I was doing back in the days. Um, But I think there's just a lot of information and the liability is huge and they have to really assess you know the liability they have to really assess what works for them what works for the clients um but ultimately you know we go into this business we go into this field to want to help people and this is not you know the business that will generate a lot of income for us um mm-hmm. you know i work probably 60 hours a week when I first started um, wow. until three o'clock last night, just doing something else. Right. Mm-hmm. So, there, you know, are you willing to make that sacrifices um, and plan? I, I, you know, I think you kind of have to make plans, make business plans, ask yourself what you need, what your organization needs, what your staff needs. Um, and, and I have always said, don't grow too fast. I think that's the biggest mistake I see um, business owners do. And and I know why they have to grow so fast because it's so tempting. You know, they want to grow because the money's there, right? I mean, um, the demand, plus the demand wait list, the, the needs is also there. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you don't have the scale, when you don't have the infrastructure, you can't grow because it will, your, your system will collapse. And at that point, it's hard to come back. Um, and the paper works for us, right? Because the system works. Um, and the money doesn't work for us to, to um, use expensive 
technology back in the days. And that was one of the reasons that I wasn't ready to move um, to an online data collection. And again, you know, there's just not a lot of choices. So I think those are all factors that you kind of have to take into consideration. Um, and, and that's really, I, I guess that's kind of the, the piece of business advice I would give to new business owners um, is really just take the time. You want to build it. I mean, this is your dream. I, I'm guessing for a lot of owners out there, this is your dream. You wanted to do this. Um, so let's make sure this dream doesn't, you know, crush you. Yeah. You want you want to be successful. Um, you want to build a legacy. Um, so let's make sure that you do it right. You have all the control. I mean, it's all you. You don't have a boss that you have to, you know, answer to. Um, you're your own boss. You get to make the best out of you know, your dream and your, your organization. Um, so let's, let's do it that way. That's great advice. I mean, you made it to uh, 10 years. So years. Yeah. And, and, and it's going to be at what, you know, the next 10 years and the next 10 years. And wow. Yeah. And then I don't know what effort, you know, <laughs> I probably should retire at some point, but I mean, I'm not even, I, I mean, I'm thinking about it, right? Like what, what's my plan? Um, it's not going to happen in my second decade. Um, I think I really love this job. I love the people, my people so much that I'm not ready to give, give it up. Um, I mean, we're about to have two staff that are going to celebrate their 10th anniversary, um, so cool. you know, next year. And I, you know, it's funny, I talked about this all the time. It's I, when I draft the PTO policy, I didn't think someone would go beyond five years. So I had a lot of PTO for those, you know, senior stuff. And now I'm like, hmm, maybe that's too much. But really, I mean, that was my thought, right? I mean, obviously, it's not too much. They definitely deserve it and they earn it. Um, and they keep it the same. But but really, I mean, you know, that was kind of my mentality back in the days. Like, I don't think anyone would go past five years. So whatever, you know. But here we go. We have, you know two that are going to their 10 years, I have, you know, another 10 that have reached five, seven years. And wow. to me, that they're my family. I mean, they, you know, we have, they do the work with me. So I'm not the only person, you know, doing all the heavy lifting. Um, they, they really have done a tremendous job um, building this company together with me. So I'm not ready to retire. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I don't want to see you go either. <laughs> Stick <Yeah>. around. <laughs> it sounds like you've created uh, a company that you're really proud of it. That's a family. Yeah. That people, the people want to be a part of. Yes. That's, that's awesome. You should be really excited and proud of yourself. That's yes, I am. Thank you. <laughs> well, we're really grateful that uh, you chose Motivity. Um, especially when you chose us, we were pretty new to the market and, and, um, we were really excited when we graduated from the pilot program and you're <laughs> moving forward and, and rolling it out across your organization. Um, cause we know like how much thought you put into that process and, and that we, we stood out among the crowd, um, meant a lot to us. So thank you. And, yeah. um, Thank you so much for having me. And again, I just want to take the last opportunity to applaud you guys for all the customer support work that you've done, um, especially Tatum. Thank you. Um, you've been amazing. And our success in transitioning and, and using our first online data collection, it's you have a lot to do with it. So we really appreciate you guys. You are more than welcome. You you, you and your team made it very easy to, to do this process. So thank you for making my job easier. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ivy.